like in the middle, like in the middle of the Daf of Talmud, we are in the middle of talking about Bereshit 17.9. Shlomo is breaking it down with some uh, linguistics here. Uh, keep going, bro. I just wanted to invite everybody in. Okay, so we well, will welcome everybody. start the rumination. Um, we will do the bracha, but we're in the middle of something. And I thought y'all yeah. should hear it. Um, yeah, we're just in the middle of, I was doing a little um, Hebrew grammar today with my Habrusa, getting into verbs and conjugations, um, strong voice verbs, weak voice verbs. Uh, and this is a... Uh, Pa'al verb. Pa'al? Like master? Pa'al. Pa'al. Oh. Yeah. What's pa'al? K.S. Pa'al. This one does not have any special conjugation properties other than the fact that it is um, intensive. So it's spelled uh, Tav, Sheen, Mem, Resh. And okay. there's a Kyrick under the Tav. More. And this is a masculine singular verb. You know what I like about this word is the word shomer is in there. <laughs> Shameless plug, folks. Shameless plug. <laughs> I'm trying to upgrade your Iron Man suit there to Mark. Yeah, Daniels. right. <laughs> I'm going to put a hearing in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, you know, teach more ata. They zar eka achareka le doro tam. What's interesting about this verse, it moves from the singular to the plural. That's true. The first, the first word being a verb is in the sing, masculine singular, but when you get over to the Doro Tom that ends the verse, it's in the plural. It's kind of like Abraham is growing a family or something. Exactly, which he already has. Because wow. a few verses later, at the end of this Parsha, Lech Lecha, we find that he circumcised everyone. And then he circumcised himself. And no Yitzhak was around yet. Yeah, exactly. Yitzhak wasn't even born yet, but he had Ishmael and he circumcised him. Oh my goodness. But here's the thing. The covenant was already efficacious even before he performed the act of circumcision. And Shaul notes this in Galatians. Why don't we go ahead and note this is the same thing with before the crucifixion of the Mashiach. The covenant was still active before yeah, so it was already efficacious. Man. There was no there is no new covenant. There's a renewed covenant. There it is. And a shout out to Yosef, who's really big and points this out very strongly, which I totally agree. Yes. You know, because we can trace that efficaciousness all the way back here. Wow. <laughs> so wait, so if you do New Covenant, you're going to divorce yourself from things like G Genesis 17.9. Yes. 
That's crazy. You're, you're divorcing yourself. You're separating yourself from Abraham Ivri because he's oh the first to cross over from idolatry to the Derek Hashem. So, of course, you would need a new religion. You'd need a new day of worship. Okay, we get it now. That's crazy. Okay, so singular, masculine, to the plural. Yeah. And so what the Ramban is saying, you know, ve'ata et briti tishmor, my covenant. As for you, my covenant, you will guard. Or you shall keep my covenant. Nice. What is meant by as for you? The verse could have simply could have said simply et briti teach more. So extra a time. This is why it's so important to study Ramban linguistically, grammatically speaking, because he is pointing out something here. Therefore, you, and this is one of the few singular words you will find in Hebrew, hmm. nouns. This is, a, this is a singular noun. It's neither feminine nor masculine. It's one of the few words that you'll find that's in the neutral. Which you know, this is the beginning of Parsha Tedzave, which is the only Parsha the name of Moshe is not mentioned. Yeah. But he's simply known as Veata. Yep, exactly. You know, Ebriti Tishmo. Okay. So Rambam cites Rashi's explanation. And Rashi writes, the Vav. And adds on to the first matter, i.e., it connects that which follows to a preceding statement, as if to say, As for me, this is my covenant with you. Verse four, and as for you, you be careful to keep it. Mm. And what can well, and what constitutes keeping it? This is my covenant, which you sh you shall keep between me and you, and yeah, me and you and your descendants after you, Ladoro Tom. Every male among you shall be circumcised between me. And you, you refers to those of the present, the immediacy, those who are in Abraham's household at that very time that Hashem is commanding him to circumcise every member of his household. And your descendants after you refers to those who are destined to be born. This interpretation of the Rabbi Rashi is correct in the plain meaning of the verse. This is one of the few times I've seen Rambam not correct Rashi. <laughs> See, yeah, like that thing where, uh, 
what's the Peshat of all of Torah? And it's like, well, yeah, go to Rashi. And then that one time Ramban's like, I disagree with Rashi. <laughs> Except for here, you know, like you just said, one of the few times where he's like, oh, yeah, Rashi's cool. You got it. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> that is. See, this just goes to show, like, this is the beauty of studying Torah for the sake of heaven. You can have differing perspectives. You can have differing views. You don't have to call people wrong. Okay, so like just look at the sages, how they go back and forth, because when you actually have a dispute for the sake of Shemaim, for the sake of heaven, more wisdom comes out like and this is one of the most incredible things. And I know for me and my personal experience, I've been having to break through walls like that because from Edom, from Christianity, you're taught that if someone has a different perspective than you, you either look down upon them or you try to combat them and beat them into submission to your own perspective. And Judaism, no, 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 no. Okay, so this is just a, a prime example of the small little uh, print that you read in like uh, Uncolo, or not Uncolos, or Hachaim, uh, and Rambam, or Ramban, and um and with rashi and things like that you'll always see like uh so-and-so disagrees or so-and-so agrees you know and things like that so this is the beauty of those statements is that the sages do go back and forth like that so anyway just oh, yeah. a word of encouragement to everyone a public service announcement for sure <laughs> <laughs> we need to quit fighting this is another reason why we don't have the temple quit yeah. acting like christians that was harsh, but quit yeah, acting I've... like the teaching pattern of Christianity. Christians are probably like one of the most coolest people, but the way that you're taught and conditioned is uh, really what we need to fix. Yeah, it's it's not about the one man show behind the, the pulpit. Not at all. That leads <laughs> to a lot of misinterpretation, a lot of misunderstanding. Ultimately speaking. You are leading people away from the Torah. You're leading people away from Hashem, from following Hashem, from hearing his voice. Right. Um, so did you finish your Ramban point or was there more? So Ram, Yeah, Ramban makes a further point in regard to the symbolic significance of circumcision, which is applicable to the plain but not Kabbalistic interpretation of our verse. Some commentators gave a reason behind the precept of circumcision, that God placed a reminder in the organ of desire, which is abundant in its potential for agitation and sin, that people should use it only for following God's command and for that which is permitted. The next part of this comment discusses the deep Kabbalistic concepts and implicit in the word Briti and is not within the scope of this elucidation. In the Hebrew text, Ramban's words appear in the paragraph beginning uh, and ending uh, You know, what I got to see in that is this whole idea of 
inviting Hashem into your most personal and intimate space. And to think that someone would not want to uh, allow Brit Milah, you know, because there, there are people who are adamantly against allowing children to be circumcised, you know, and even as adults who convert, you know, being against, you know, well, I'm going to be a follower of Hashem, but I don't want to get circumcised. It's just kind of like, so basically you're telling Hashem one of the most uh, intimate ways that we're able to express ourselves. You don't want Hashem to be a part of that. Which further extenuating that uh, to the fact of that being called my covenant. It's almost like you're, you're when, when we learn about the covenant of Hashem, it's really about the, the meeting of desires. Which is kind of interesting because, you know, Hashem has what he would desire of us, which we have free choice to do. And then we have what we desire to do. But it's like when we bend to his desires, that's where my covenant comes into place. Like Brie T, as we just read in that verse. So it's really cool that, you know, when we really talk about being in covenant with Hashem, it's really about the bending of our will to his. And I've never really thought of, you know, what's a good definition for covenant? Because one of the things about covenant is they have to be cut. You know, something has to get offered, you know, and things like that. And so obviously if you bring a Corbin or you yourself become the Corbin, which is the circumcision. So anyway, that's what I saw as you were reading that. So that's a, that's a great piece of commentary from Ramban. Yeah. I, I look at the, the modern practical application of this and realize that the sexual um, controversy that has plagued the Catholic Church, for example, all the allegations that have come wow. against them. But not just that sect of Christianity, many others, mm. because they refuse to allow their will to be subsumed in the totality of Hashem, because ultimately that's the Kabbalistic aspect of this. Be subsumed. Because look at Adam, how we shown. What does the Aries all say concerning him in the 130 years? You know, yeah. after, when the verse that says, and Adam knew his wife, mm -hmm. you know, from Rabbi Foreman at Olive Beta. Can't hear this enough, man. Come on. You know, and then what it's juxtaposed when Eve says, I got no man with the shim. Where's Adam? You just gave Adam an excuse to be illicit. Mm. Because the dot in that verse, I got to go with Foreman on that one. It's very ominous. <laughs> Man, sound like you know, very... especially, especially in connection with the Ed's dot, Tob Yeah. She acquired knowledge that was not meant for them. They fell from the state of Adam Kadmon 
to the level of good and evil. Yeah. And so now you got all this backbiting, tail-bearing, gossiping, you know, trying to get the one up on the other guy. And you, you see history. You see, I mean, the Kabbalists, yeah. you know, this is very important in the Zohar. This is why the study of the Zohar is so important is because it teaches us to rectify these aspects of our nefesh, our ruach, and our neshama. So that we can be one with the creator again. Amen. Which um, would be da'at to bring us into unity. <laughs> yes. Wow. But Which, by order, the way, is known as the sun, right? Yeah. In order to do that, though, we have to teach more. And what's interesting, if you move to uh, verse 10, where it says, Zot Griti, Asher Tishmaru. Okay. Now we move to a masculine, second person, masculine and plural noun. And notice, grammatically, after the way verse 9 ends, Ledoro Tom. It brings us into the plurality of the generations that will come after Abraham. And this is why the Rambam agrees with Rashi. He does not offer any other, he does not offer his own opinion here, which is what I find very interesting. Wow. He just simply says the interpretation of Rashi is correct in the plain meaning. <laughs> Otherwise, Rambam would be bringing his opinion. He'd be weighing in on it. And also note, there's no footnotes. Wow. Uh, that says it all to me. So you see, Tish Muru, B'nai, U'b'nai Kem, U'b'ain, Zareka, Achareka, Kimol, Lakem, Kol, Sakar. Really? Because if you read the the English, it says, and yourselves. No, no, no. Uh, Among you. Yeah, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. That's plural. Tishmaru. You shall keep between me and your descendants. It uses the Hebrew, the Hebrew words are eka, your seed, akareka after you. Kamo lakem, every male, zakar. Kol zakar, every male. You know, every male among you shall be circumcised. Hmm. And what's interesting is I've, uh, a nice gematria of subtraction is if you 
take Nekiva, the gematria for Nekiva, and you subtract it from the gematria of Sakar, Sakar, in this case, you have 70, which is the gematria for the letter Ayin, which is also the word for I. And so I would connect that with what the Rambam says concerning circumcision and bringing in under control the place the reminder in the organ of desire. It's interesting that it uses um, zar, Zaraka, your seed, because when you read the letter to Galatia in, in chapter 3, verse 29, it says, if you belong to the Mashiach, notice that word Tishmeru, like to be subsumed. Yeah. But if you're truly subsumed in Mashiach, which we talked about the dot, the unification, uh, then it says you are Abraham's seed. See, that's... Wow. See, Shaul's well aware of this. So crazy to think that for thousands of years... It's been taught that belief in the Mashiach makes you something other than Torah observance, other than in covenant, because it's not taught that uh, you're in covenant with Hashem through the Mashiach. Yeah. It's taught that you're saved, you're granted salvation for your soul, you're going to go to heaven, but covenant. They, The thing is, they teach so narrowly that uh, all our righteousness, everything that we have is in JC, but they're forgetting the genealogy because this also, this verse also accounts for that. When you say Lador Otam, yep. that Mashiach is in the lineage of Abraham, tracing all the way back to Adam HaRishon because Mashiach was circumcised. So are you seriously going to tell me that everything is in JC hmm. when everything about him is in Torah? Because hmm. if you don't accept the covenant, then you're none of his. Because we're circumcised in two ways. The, the flesh and the heart. It even says that in Deuteronomy. And I will circumcise your heart. It's both physical. The Torah tells us it's both physical and it's spiritual. That's right. You cannot have one over the other. And you can't have one without the other. They're both in tandem. They work together as reminders of, yep. of covenant responsibility. And as we'll see in this rumination coming up, that the land is also part of the covenant and it is our responsibility to maintain it. Ooh. That is the holiness, the Kedusha, 
So this is why Judaism should be understood as not a religion. But a way because of that's barely scratching the surface, obviously, of what we just mentioned. Because number one, who really thinks about Judaism as a family? Like the 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 epitome of family affair is Judaism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's what Hashem says to Abraham in Genesis 12. He said, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Yeah, it's about family. You it's know, knowing God. your place. Adoption by the Ruach as sons, calling Hashem Abba, like, yeah, it's a family thing. And if so you're not then, adopted by the Ruach, then you're none of his. Yeah. You're then an orphan. You have the, you have the idea that we not it's not even an idea it's a fact so let's yeah. be facts <laughs> you have the fact that uh i don't know what the the thing is these days but everybody's like facts and i'm like facts what you want me to fax you something i don't use a fax machine anyway um but no we have land we have a place that we belong in the world a particular spot in the world number one that's not a religion thing. You don't go, well, I'm a part of so-and-so religion, which means I have to be right here. That's only in Judaism. Nationality, genealogy, um, Torah, like our, our, our duties, which I know everybody has those, um, and things like that. But, I mean, it's, it's just kind of like, how far do you want to go with this? Because it's level on level on level. You know. So anyway, um, yeah. Did you have anything else before we uh, go into the rumination? Uh, Galatians three. Galatians three. Okay. Um, from the CJB, brace yourself because Shaul is getting blunt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like after Havdalah, where we were in the midrash, you know, talking about the crow, and I'm like. Dude, he's going BLM on me. <laughs> a crow that's BLM. I'm like, come on, man. You mean crow lives matter? <laughs> wow. Did you? Wow. I just said that, yes. Oh, my gosh. That just happened. <laughs> wow. In uh, case everybody wants to know, um, just Shabbats or when the secrets come out. So <laughs> wine goes in secrets dude, come out. <laughs> yeah. So if you aren't keeping Shabbat, you're missing out on a lot of beautiful <laughs> insights that come out. So oh yeah. Yeah, Shaw gets blunt here. You stupid Galatians. Oh my goodness. That's how we start. Who has put you under a spell? Before your very eyes, Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed as having been put to death as a criminal. I want to know from you, just this one thing, did you receive the spirit by legalistic observance of Torah commands or by trusting in what you heard and being faithful to it? Are you that stupid? <laughs> wow. This is David Stern's, uh, you know, it's having begun with the spirit's power. Do you think you can reach the goal under your own power? Hey, church, listen, listen up. 
so-called church. He's talking to those kind of people in this Kahila, in Galatia. He's dealing with two kinds of people here. Those who know better that their righteousness is a rag that is filthy, unless with Hashem's help that your observance of Torah comes about. Because in Deuteronomy 30, it clearly states, as I said earlier, just a few minutes ago, and I will circumcise your heart. Woo. I will do it. Do you, yeah. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If that's the way you think, your suffering certainly will have been for nothing. What about God? Who supplies you with the spirit and works miracles among you? Does he do it because of your legalistic observance of Torah commands or because you trust in what you heard and are faithful to it? It was the same with Abraham. He trusted in God. He had confidence in Hashem. He knew Hashem was faithful, but he, he, he didn't just believe Hashem. He acted on his belief because amim is also a verb. It's also an active voice verb. Which means it's to be constantly uh, in our awareness. Yep. That was one thing I got to learn before I press record, everyone. Shoma was <laughs> sharing some beautiful things he's learning. Yeah. And that was credited to his account as righteousness. Mm. Be assured then that it is those who live by trusting, having confidence, and being faithful and Munah who are really children of Abraham. Ki mishpateka emuna. Tehillim 119.86. Also the Tanakh foreseeing that God would consider the Gentiles righteous when they live by trusting and being faithful. Whoa. The good news to Avraham in advance by saying, in connection with you, all the Goim will be blessed. Mm. You know what you know what Shaul is doing here? He's putting Jews and Gentiles on equal footing. That's what he's doing here. No one's the better of the other. No one has it over the other. No one can lord it over the other. Yeah. That's the whole, like, oh, you call yourself sons of Abraham. Well, I can make sons of Abraham from these stones. Exactly. That's, yeah. Yokanani Mercia says that. Which, you know, it's crazy because you can have a goy who is faithful to the Torah and you could have a Yehudi who is not faithful to the Torah. You know, like, there's that kind of equilibrium to where it's kind of like, well, there's no covenant for the Goy, right? But it's just kind of like, well, 
a Gentile, a Goy, who comes to study the Torah is like into the Kohen Gadol. So like, that's... Yeah, I'll go to Zara. Yeah, that's what the sages say. Exactly. So, yeah, that's just... The sages are putting it on an equal footing. And when you talked about the word for stupid or foolish Galatians, <laughs> remember that's the same word that's used for the only way a person can sin as if a spirit of folly or foolishness or stupidness comes over them. Oh, my goodness. That comes up another uh, verb on the call stem, Ahmad. Oh, okay. Which is stand, right? Yep. Ayin in the first guttural position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do all to stand in that day that you may be found worthy of the world to come. Um, the inside cover of my sidur. Um, know before whom you stand. Yes. The Holy One, blessed be he, the king who reigns over kings. I was just reading uh, Sephus Emmas. I'm going to it real quick. This is something that I thought was so, so beautiful. Uh, uh, hang on. Uh, Don't worry, we got all night. <laughs> this is... What? Let me see. Hang on, I, I tabbed it, so that's that's good. Uh, it was along the lines of uh, anyone who lives outside of Israel. Where is that? You know how they say, like, if you live outside the land of Israel, you're considered to be, like, uh, not godly? Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, okay. Where was that? I wouldn't necessarily think that myself, though. Right. Um, anyone buried outside of the land of Israel, their bodies roll. There it is. Ketubot 111a. Thank you, Hashem. Okay, so Rabbi Chaim. Uh, when Chazal say in Ketubot 111a, this is brought to you by Gadai of Bet Yisrael, that one day, or that one buried outside of Eretz Yisrael will arise at the revival of the dead painfully by rolling through underground tunnels to Eretz Yisrael. They are only speaking about someone who did not love the Holy Land. But those who loved the land during their lives and awaited the redemption, even in death, do not depart from that holiness that was inscribed on the tablets of their hearts. Hashem left us an insurance. Moshe Rabbeinu, the master of prophets, who is buried outside the land. <laughs> oh, but, man. That says but, so much there. <laughs> but love the land so very much. 
he who brings up his bones will bring up as well the bones of those who hoped to him and waited for his redemption. Sefer HaChaim, section five, chapter one. So there was this whole other part about the Shimoni Esrei because we're standing and it was like, the Shimoni Esrei is about yearning for the Geula because most of the brachot that we recite while we're standing is about the future Geula. So therefore, even if you're outside of the land, you're yearning for the Geula, you're hoping to be in the land and you daven towards Eretz Yisrael, it is as if you are standing in the Holy Land when those things happen. <laughs> so I'm just saying when you're talking about a mod, like let's get into it, man. Know before who you stand. Are you serious? <laughs> I am. I am very serious about that. I <laughs> yes. But anyway, that's partial right? A. I had to had to hit the warp speed and start going into the next bar show. Um, Side note, shameless plug, shout out to Yosef. Yeah. Yep. Uh, ben, get you some. Um, <laughs> but you know, Yosef was strictly tore. He was speaking on this because he did the YouTube recording, right? About the covenant being uh, conditional. Like the land will expand if, you know, we keep the, so like that's all connected to Parsha Re'e and, and coming into the land. Like it, it truly is like if we're going to be obedient to Hashem, you know, so, but go for it. When you were talking about the, the Amidah, yeah. I thought of Takea. Yes. Sound the great shofar for our freedom. Raise the banner to gather our exiles and gather us speedily together from the four corners of the Ooh. earth to our land. Blessed are you, Hashem, who gathers in the dispersed of his people Israel. And watch this. I went back to the Ramban on here. Watch yeah. this. Um, on the previous verse. Seventeen eight. Yeah. Okay. Make sure I nail this. On verse six. Okay. On the same page we started out on. Seventeen six. Okay. On page three eighty four, um, Ramban now presents his own interpretation of who is the nations to emanate from Avraham would be. Rather, the people of Israel by themselves are called nations and peoples. And so we find, indeed, you loved peoples greatly, Devarim 33.3. Peoples will assemble at the mount, Ibid 33.19. After you came Benjamin with your peoples, Judges 5.14, even after all the progenitors of the tribes were already born, God said, 
a nation and a congregation of nations shall be shall descend from you below 3511 and I will make you a congregation of nations below 484 and that leads us right into what he was talking about the covenant and circumcision Kedushin 69a there are 10 types of Jews that went up from Babylonia to Eretz Israel. Kohanim, Leviim, Yisraelim, Chalalim, which are disqualified Kohanim, converts, freed Canaanite slaves. Because, you know, when we were coming in the land, there was the seven nations and there were people enslaved by those seven nations, by the way. Yeah. They converted. It's interesting that they're distinguished from converts in general. Uh, Mamzerim, uh, the illegitimate children, Netzanim, Shetukim, and Asufim. So congregation of people, you know, like a nation, a group of people, like that is Israel to the 10th power, like crazy. One freed Sephira. <laughs> Yeah, see, note 23, Rashi on Devarim 33.3 explains that they are called nations in the plural because they consist of 12 tribes. Rabban here, however, maintains that the people of Israel in and of themselves are called nations, as Rabban proceeds yeah. to conclude. Israel is called nations, goyim. Wow. Is it any wonder that Shaul writes the way he does in Galatians? He knows this. That's immaculate. Well, I just read here in Galatians all the way down. Yeah. Can you reread that? One, first one in chapter three down through uh, verse eight. But then verse 9, so then those who rely on trusting and being faithful are blessed along with Abraham who trusted and was faithful. Man. And then verse, and then note 24 on this. Uh, in all these cases, peoples refers only in the nation of Israel. Here too, when God said, I will make nations of you, he was referring only to the Jewish people. Oh, snap. And you know, that goes with the whole understanding that uh, when we get back to the new Yerushalayim, because, you know, it's going to happen. So whether or not we're going to be there is the question. Uh, <laughs> you know, so we're there, right? Uh, so that means we come in through one of the nations, which is the tribes, that's that's a very important point. Why? Because through the physical descendants of of Yag of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and the twelve yeah. sons of Yaakov were grafted in. Man, see, this is where the church again goes wrong. They super spiritualize it. Why? Because they can't do anything with this. Theologians, they don't know what to do with this. Because it's physical. It's not just spiritual. 
the two have to be in balance. What does it say in Mishle? A false balance is what? Toiva. Mm. To Adonai. Wow. That's intense. And then uh, no 25, the latter two statements were said to uh, Jacob after he had already fathered 11 of the 12 progenitors of the tribes of Israel. The plural nations, goyim, therefore does not result from the tribes. Rather, the plural nations is used to describe the people of Israel. That's very important. People of Israel. The Arizal comments on this in his commentary on Exodus. You have, two, you have two groups that he comments on. The people of Israel and B'nai Yisrael. The B'nai specifically those who trace their lineage physically back to Abraham. But then you have the generation of the dispersion that attached themselves. Some of them in sincerity, some not. This is the era of Rav. You just went there. Wow. Because <laughs> that's what this note's bringing out. This is what the Rambam is bringing out on a deeper level. Yeah, the Let people of Israel. Let the say Hashem has not accepted me to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and choose what pleases me. I'll give forth my covenant and to them I will give him a house, a name better than that of sons and daughters. And there is a friend that sticks closer than the brother. Man. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I ain't never heard this before. <laughs> <laughs> see, people of Israel, see, however, Rashi on those verses in Genesis, who explains how even in those two uh, instances, the plural word nations can refer to the tribes. What are you, what, what are you reading again? That was um, Ramban? Yeah, notes on the, what I just read uh, here. Awesome. When Ramban talks about the nations, how they're Genesis, encapsulated in Israel. Genesis 17.6. Yeah. Wow. All right, timestamp this video, everybody. Genesis 17, 6 from the Ramban, breaking it down. Okay. I'm so, glad we hit the record button because <laughs> we never would have got started with ruminations tonight. <laughs> so I did have this announcement to Shlomo before the broadcast because we're going to have a little switch up. Bezra uh, Desham Ruminations will continue, um, but there will be some new Shomerman developments coming soon, but that will affect how we do Ruminations. So Ruminations will continue on Shomerman platform, podcasts, and uh, we will do these as we can for sure with the help of Hashem. And uh, so to all of our YouTube family, we've been appreciative of you. Uh, we're now going to be audio and as well. So, uh, everyone can tune in to Shomerman. So Google Shomerman podcast. Shomo and I will continue uh, recording these, but it just won't be blasted all public like we've been doing. So anyway, uh, with that being the case, I sense we'll 
probably be a little bit more loose and have some more fun. Obviously, with within uh, sanity, because you know, as we like to say, we we keep everything sourced out, and uh, we do take this very seriously. Uh, so, all that being said, uh, just want to mention that to everyone. So, if you wonder where in the world is the rumination study, that's where you can go find it. So, Shomer Man is two words, and Google it and uh, subscribe, and we'll keep these bumping out for everyone so rukashem i will say the opening braca and we will get into the rumination for ekev don't tell my heart my ekev brekev heart sorry i couldn't resist okay baruch ata adonai eloheinu melech haolam asher kiddushanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu La asok bedivre Torah, veha revna Adonai, Elohenu et divre Torateka, befinu ufiam ka bet Yisrael, venie anachnu, vetze etze enu vetze etze e, amka bet Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka velamde Torateka lishma, baruch ata Adonai, ham lame Torah leamol Yisrael. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamin, Venatan Lanue Torato, Baruch Ata Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Mashiach Nel. May be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in a matter of Torah, and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to may that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore that it is to may. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them, for Hashem grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. And welcome to Rumination 43. A true disciple of Messiah knows that there is something special about the land of Israel. And it isn't about all the gaudy Jesus walked here myths. I'll let that soak in for a moment. Selah. As I've stated before in previous episodes, I have studied these ruminations for many years. But usually when I come to this one, when they're dealing about the land, I often think that they doesn't quite get the attention it should in some mm. circles. Because the people, the land, and Hashem are all part of the covenant. You cannot have one without the other. There's a symbiotic relationship between all three. A three-chord strand is not easily broken. Ooh, come on. 
So, and it just starts to mention, off- uh, just real quick, because I always think about the the confusion that happens when we talk about um, once saved, always saved. I mean, we don't talk about it, but like when when it's talked about, um, you're you being saved. Uh, like your salvation for your soul, um, any of those types of doctrines, you know, having to be immersed for the remission of your sins and things like that. Like you would not like, you don't ever get the whole piece of your place in the land. Like that's never really brought up. It's kind of like, yeah, you can just be saved. You'll be whisked away to heaven. And you'll hang out in the clouds and eternity will go on and you'll be kadosh, 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 Adonai Zebaot, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it's crazy because we're, when there's a resurrection, and there is, we're coming back to Eretz Yisrael. Like, whatever that looks like, we still come back to this land that we're speaking of, which is a super important thing to keep in mind when we talk about uh, faith, belief, however you want to put it. Because like you said, there's a symbiotic relationship there. And most times it's spoken about as God, God's word and God's people. And it's like, okay, is the land chopped liver? No, it's not. (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things, one of the things I've done, this is the last thing I'll say, I promise. Okay. um, (laughs) For this part. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was thinking about, you know, like when you, when we inherit the land, there's particular portions that we'll get, and it'll be within the tribes and things like that. Right. So, one of the things I've actually done is I've Google Earth all throughout Israel and I found a place, you know, maybe I'll get to inherit it. Maybe I won't. But at least I've set my heart and my mind already on a particular point in the land. So and in case anyone's interested, it's around Mount Hermon uh, up in that area that I'm really excited about. So just looking at some of the forest landscape there and uh, some of the beautiful uh, scenery. So I wouldn't, I'm bringing that up to encourage us as we're talking about the land to really engage looking at the land because technology has afforded us the amazing privilege. If you can't fly there and you're not balling uh, to be able to, uh, to go to the land still, and you can go look like Israel literally has everything in it. You want desert? Go south. You know, <laughs> you want mountains? It's everywhere. You know, snow, uh, just hot, whatever. Like it's got it. So you just go look around. So, you, so that you know, you have a fixed point of your yearning. Like we just spoke about with Rabbi Chaim and the Ketubot 111a having your heart yearning for the land, you know? So it it really makes it a lot more practical when you see it with your own eyes. So anyway, it's my encouragement. I 
Yeah, I remember back in the 80s, my uh, niece went there. I even got a, a, a postcard from, from her, from Tel Aviv. Oh. Wish you were here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's... Um, I remember the comment of the Rishonim. They say that the land literally flowed with milk and honey. Mm. And that the, the udders of the cows were so large and produced so much milk that they couldn't find enough people to milk them in those days. Wow. And the honey is so good. We even have a jar from it. I remember you talking about that. That was you know, cool. Lev HaOlam. If you can afford, you know, okay, so same much plug for Lev HaOlam. They'll send you a nice box, 99 bucks a month of assorted products from Israel. And you can feel good knowing that you're supporting Israel's economy. Because they deserve it. And you're bringing Kedusha at the same time. And connecting yourself to the land. Exactly. See, the like, point, I love Israel so much, I want this honey. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the products my wife really loves is this, uh, this garlic salt. Mm. I don't know if you can see it, but this stuff is really good. She puts it on almost everything. It is that good. <laughs> it's Kedusha. It's blessed. Yeah. That's, that's what we have to remember. This is connecting you to Eretz Yisrael. It is connecting you to Hashem. Fresh. As he just said, it's fresh. It's fresh. <laughs> Get you some. Come on. She's bringing it. <laughs> you know? And... But don't... Uh, yeah, she just mentioned it has sea salt. It comes from the Lorette Sea. What? Did you say Lorette or Dead Sea? Huh? Dead Sea or Lorette? I don't know if it's the Dead Sea or what it is. But it's yeah, I think it's the Dead Sea because it's very salty. Yeah, with, with garlic mixed with... Um, Black pepper and uh, salt from the sea. Man, that just ain't even fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then the olive oil is arzate. You know, it, it's just, there's just nothing like it. Um, you know, so you something. can't be there, eat. From there. <laughs> there. Support them. Yes. Buy the products. That, you know, that's what me and my wife do because it establishes a physical connection with the land. Especially regarding the mitzvot that are applicable in the land. This is another way of internalizing those mitzvot. And they begin, and they mean something to you. They also become who you are. Wow. This is so, see, this, this is why it's so important. 
this is a connection that most don't really make. It's an actual physical connection with Hashem. It's tangible, even though he himself is not tangible. So, with that said, the Holy Land is a place of exploitation. Okay. From the 4th century on, there have been countless shams that prey on hapless pilgrims who don't know the first thing about the Jewish Messiah. Mm. Much less about biblical history. Their ignorance is not to be condemned. It's merely more evidence of nearly two millennia of Jesus myths foisted upon sincere men by less sincere men. 100%. Even when you go there today, you still need to be wary. There are, I mean, I... My wife and I, we really want to go, but it will be when Hashem wants us to go. May it be at the appointed time. And should Hashem, and if Hashem allows us to go, if we like, put in the effort to do so, there are certain places I would want to visit, specific places. Yeah. The Galil is one of them. The Kotel is another. And then there's the Arbel Cliffs. What's so special about those? It is where, uh, I believe it's in Capernaum. And that's where the mm -hmm. synagogue where uh, Yeshua went to on Shabbat in Luke chapter 4. Oh, okay. Okay. And they tried to throw him off that cliff. And he walked right through the crowd. Through the crowd, exactly. Okay. And they were doing this on Shabbat, please, in the land. Well, that's a little better, even though it's still horrible, uh, than killing a prophet like, I don't know, Amos on Yom Kippur. In the temple oh courtyard. And then there's Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom the master mentioned, whom you slew between the altar and the... The portico and the altar, I think it was. Yeah, there's yeah, I remember Matthew, that 20, Matthew 23. Um where is that at? Yep, between the altar and the sanctuary. Yeah. Luke eleven fifty one cross references with uh, it doesn't mention it. Where's that? Oh, Matthew. No, 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 not Matthew six. Yeah, Matthew twenty three. You're right. Yeah, there it is. Down there at verse 35, and so on, you will, and so 
on you will fall on you will fall the guilt for all the innocent blood that has ever been shed on earth from the blood of innocent Hevel to the blood of Zachariah ben Barakai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Yes, I tell you that all of this will fall on this generation. Wow. You know what that is saying, right? Because we talked about this whole thing like before the crucifixion, like everything was still efficacious. Uh, efficacious and so now you got this whole understanding of all of the prophets whose blood have been slain it's going to accumulate and come upon this particular generation this particular generation merited the coming of the mashiach even though it was the ben yosef and then this generation saw you know the offering of the mashiach the resurrection of the mashiach the ascension like Something about that generation in particular is just so crazy. Like, wow. And then we have his lament. Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, you who killed the prophets, you stone those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children just as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. But you refused. Look, God is abandoning your house to you, leaving it desolate. For I tell you, from now on, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai. And this is not justifying replacement theology. Because remember where we are right now. In the parashiot, in the half Torah readings. This is the second of the seven of half Torah of comfort and consolation. Yeah. Um, again, that has so much to do with the land. Mm-hmm. And what's also significant this coming Rosh Hashanah, it is a Shemitah year. Sabbatical rest for the lamb. Stepping into the seven. And what does that entail? The Yobel. Mm. When the Matan Torah and when uh, Yehoshua on the seventh time around Jericho sounded Mm. a Yobel. That's right. Declaring freedom for all those in in the city, but only one was deemed having the merit to go into Alamabad Rahav, which just so happens her gematria of that name is 210, which is the exact number of years that Israel spent in Mitzrayim. Goodness. Oh, side note, you talked about internalizing the mitzvot uh, mm-hmm. before we continued in the rumination. So the, everything that you're doing uh, with Ohev Yisrael, those things are tied. So you're literally eating the mitzvah 
of tithing. <laughs> Which is incredible because to, to eat something that hasn't been tithed from Eretz Israel is a big, big, like, you don't want that on your record. So side note, just partaking in the fact that someone has decided to follow Hashem, namely the people who manufacture those products from the land, they tithe those things and then you eat of that. So it's like a mitzvah on top of a mitzvah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is um, because this is a Shemitah year coming up, all, everything that's produced We'll have to carry them through the following year. Yep, this is that sixth year double and blessing. The, even, but even the year following the Shemitah, the following Rosh Hashanah, where they can plant again, you still have to wait for the harvest Ooh. the following year. Yeah. This is another reason why I say if you're a farmer in the land of Israel, I'm out on, on the whole faith thing. Like, I know you got more faith than I do. And that's, <laughs> exactly. that's a sad confession. But, dude, I, so many people may run around being like, oh, man, I'm courageous. I believe in God. It's like, well, why don't you go get some land over in Israel yeah. and be a farmer? <laughs> Let's see if you believe, you know. like When that seventh year comes around and you must let the rant land have its Shabbat. You're all great and glorious when it comes to the seventh day Shabbat. But when it comes to the land and not just the land, what we see in, in Parashat Mishpatim regarding the slave. Oh, come on, man. Your employees got to go? <laughs> yes. And in you got to pay them. You have to pay them. And get this, if he wants to stay, what does he do? Pierce his ear. Mezuzah. That's the only other place in the Torah that you see that word used. Man. It's getting real. It's and getting that's what Mashiach does. We, we, <laughs> attach, we attach ourselves to Mashiach, the righteous one. In the same manner. Because what the Shaul says, I'm a slave of Mashiach. Yep. The cool thing about that is this is the meaning of why we have mezuzot on our doorposts. Uh-huh. You want to talk about attaching yourself to Mashiach? Put up a mezuzah. Shomer Dalet Yisrael. I love Judaism so practical. While spiritual at the same time. Nine, yes. Like, oh, this feels so good. It's like, okay, go actually do it. This okay. is the thing, you know, when I was in Christianity, <laughs> I, I knew there was something missing. There was so, where's the physicality? Where's the physical reminders? There yeah. aren't any. They don't, they don't want to embrace that. Yeah. And now, realizing this because of Hashem, you know, it just yeah. brings substance to your emunah. Oh, boy, Hebrews 11.1. Now, uh, emunah is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah. 
getting real there. Yeah, pun intended. <laughs> Which goes back to Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Because that it's worked. the things yeah. hoped for, the things unseen. Even so, though he didn't get to see the fulfillment of the promises. Yep. But yet, half the mitzvahs he performed were in the land. Yeah. That's the thing. We see the pattern of uh, in the land, Ganidan, exile, back into the land, exile, back into the land. Now we're in the Galus, which has lasted 2,000 years. And now we're going to see Ganidan then. But this time around, it's Mashiach that's going to be doing it. Amen. Mashiach uh, ben Yosef, because his work's not done yet. He's the one bringing everyone into the covenant, into Torah observance, and living yep. this life yep. that is separate and distinct from everything else. What's crazy about all this is that Moshe never got to do mitzvot in the land. And he still praised Hashem. Because in last week's Parsha, Bayat Kanan with a gematria of 515, Shira mm. also has a gematria of 515. That's right. Before he even made a request, please let me go in, he praised Hashem. Wow. See, this is why I'm really big on not using Hashem as a talisman or a charm or like a rabbit's foot, you know? Demanding yeah. things from him. They call and, it an amulet in the yeah. uh, Talmudic uh, knowledge or uh, yeah. vernacular. You know, that, that just shows that you're not grateful for the fact that you're alive and that you're breathing. That he gives you life, that he allows you to wake up every morning. Or you could say the Braka, you know, Mode Ani Lefaneka Melakai Bekayam. Boy, I would love to do that in the land <laughs> before my Man. feet even touch the floor. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? I'm working on it. Hang on. <laughs> well, he's got the quarter molecules on, folks. Because <laughs> it's just my imagination <laughs> diving it away uh, with me. Yeah. Be able to stand at the hotel mm. and offer your prayer. I can't uh, wait to smell the Katorit while we're doing that. The holiest place on earth where his. I have chosen Zion as my dwelling place. I have greatly desired it. And when Malik Shlomo built the first temple, he says, if indeed you will keep my covenant and perform all my statutes 
then my name will reside here forever. Wow. And we know that the four-letter name points to the very essence of Hashem. That is something to meditate on. The very essence of Hashem dwelling in the land. The spiritual descending to the physical. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, can my finite mind contain all this wondrous knowledge that Hashem has seen, been so gracious to bestow upon us? Yeah. So actually, it's interesting because until the the resurrection, our finite minds can't, but our souls can. So basically, all this is going into the deposit of our soul, which is the fullness of knowledge that we're going to inherit. You know? But we see through a glass darkly. Yeah. One sec, I'm going to grab something, but I'm listening. (laughs) No problem. All right. So, to be sure... There are valid and precious connections between Messiah, his first disciples, and the land of Israel, but they are not to be found inside the gaudy walls of the church, fill in the blank. So save your tour dollars. Wow. Goodness gracious. You know... People are so caught up in these narratives that never really were meant to exist in the land to begin with. You know, that's a that sad thing about the holy sites that the tours go and take you on, not being the actual thing. Yeah, I mean, that's why I mentioned the, uh, and I'm not, and now we get into what I mentioned earlier for a messianic connection. All the true follower needs to see is the Sea of Galilee, the Arbel Cliffs, and the Western Wall in Jerusalem to appreciate the historicity of the Bible. <laughs> it's like you read the rumination or something. Like I said, I've gone through these like for years. You know, it's this was it's what's helped me greatly in my understanding of certain Torah principles that are so important to you know get in here, you know, to realize, you know, because all this is Hashem's doing. Are there church tours 
that go on these places, that go to these places in particular? For someone in Christianity, it would mean something, but an interesting thing is my former pastor went to Eretz Israel with his wife. And, you know, they went up to the Galil, they went to Capernaum, they went to the Machine Market in Jerusalem. But then he posted this picture of his wife at the Kotel. And the look on her face told us, said it all. And I thought to myself, do you know where you are? Mm. Do you realize that you are standing in the most holy place, the holiest place on earth? And this is why I quote Psalm 104. For I have chosen Zion as my dwelling place. I have greatly desired it. There are beautiful passages in Ezekiel 16 that speak about Hashem's love for Jerusalem. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, I you know that bears reading. <laughs> you know, is that where we're going? We're going to Ezekiel. Yep. Cool, because I'm going to take this with me. <laughs> <laughs> my wife got me th this Tanakh for my birthday. Oh, uh, Starting at the first verse. The word of Hashem came to me saying, Son of man informed Jerusalem of her abominations, say, Thus said Lord Hashem Elohim, and I will note something here that the four letter name precedes. Yeah. Adonai Hashem Le Yerushalam. Every time you see this combination in Hebrew, it denotes mm -hmm. his head, his loving kindness. Uh, yeah, you just see him say, you know, inform Jerusalem of her abominations and say, thus said the Lord Hashem Elohim to Jerusalem, your dwelling place and your birthplace are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your umbilical cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to smooth your skin, nor were you salted, nor were you swallowed. No, I pitied you to do any one of these things for you, to show you compassion. You were cast out upon the open field because of the loathsomeness of your being on the day you were born. Then I passed you and saw you swallowing in your blood. And I said to you, in your blood, you shall live. 
I said to you, in your blood you shall live. I made you as numerous as the plants of the field. You increased and grew. You came to have great charm. Breasts developed and your hair sprouting, but you were naked and bare. I passed by you and saw you, and behold, your time was the time of love. And I spread the hems of my garment over you and covered your nakedness, and I took an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you. The word of the Lord Hashem Elohim, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed away your blood from upon you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered garments. I shod you in takash, leather. I bound you with linen. I covered you with silk. I decked you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your hands and a necklace on your neck, and I placed a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a crown of beauty on your head. You decked yourself with gold and silver. Your garments were linen, silk, and embroidery. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. You became exceedingly beautiful, and you became fit for royalty. Your fame went forth among the nations for your beauty, for it was perfect. Through my splendor, which I placed upon you, the word of the Lord Hashem Elohim. You see this same language in Shir Hashemim. Very allegorical, very Kabbalistic. The language of the temple is here, the Mishkan. Takash leather, that's what the Ohel Moed was made of. Yep. The same material that sandals in those days were made of. Oh, the sandals who are unworthy. That never wore out. Yeah, the ones that never wore out. But remember when Yochanan says, the one who comes after me? Whose shoes or sandals I am not worthy to unloose. Yeah, the Takash. Because it says, have your feet showed with the the uh, the gospel. Of the Besorah Shalom. Yeah. Because it's interesting, the armor of God is all like protection, 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 and then sandals. You're just it's like referring to the priestly uh, garments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just to bring up the point about the Takash skins, though, it's just like those Takash shoes were not like your typical sandals of <laughs> you know, the slides that people are norm used to wearing these days. I heard an interesting allegory regarding the Ohel Moed and the Takash uh, leather that when Israel would, it would be time for Israel to move, meaning that the cloud would be taken up and the tabernacle would be taken down mm. and they would move. And then when the cloud came down, they would erect the Mishkan. And it's like, Following in the footsteps of Hashem. Ooh. The footsteps of Mashiach. <laughs> There's a pattern here. There, the, the pattern in our lives. Because we follow Hashem. Because he walks with us. In the land. 
And we know that the Mishkan resided in Shiloh for, was it 380 years? Um, yeah, but this is a, a beautiful allegory. What's the verse? Uh, I believe it's uh, Amos that talks about the clouds or the dust of his feet. Amos. Oh, Nahum. Interesting because of the Nahum. We're talking about Nahamu, the comfort. Nahamu, Nahamu, I mean, yeah. So the prophet Nahum or Nahum is sometimes said in English, one three. Hashem is slow to anger and great in power, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Or the rest of the verse in its context in totality. Adonai is slow to anger, but great in power. Adonai will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. So when you talk about following the footsteps, we're literally following the dust of his feet like a rabbi. So Hashem is our rabbi. Mashiach is our rabbi, following after the cloud, <laughs> which is his footsteps. Covering ourselves in the dust of... That's Perky Avod. Uh. And drink their words as if it were water. The well of Miriam. I mean, that's... See, this is the thing, you know, it's... As long as the church keeps thinking that they're the new Israel, they're just going to be... That's it. You're just like you're on your own. It's your own righteousness, you know. And the irony of that is they accuse us of being self-righteous. Hmm. I'm like, do you even know what you're talking about? To be blunt. Man. It's nonsensical. <laughs> Wow, yeah, beautiful section of Ezekiel. Which, by the way, that's the person I'm looking forward to meeting in the Gehu. Like, oh. I want to meet a lot of people, but I really want to go up to Yechezkel and be like, can I just talk to you and hang out with you for a little Dude, bit? You, you rode on the say Merikaba, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's just... I, th I yeah. think of everybody having their who who you're gonna make a beeline to at the resurrection, you know. <laughs> Besides getting to Jerusalem as soon as possible, it's like the first person I want to go see is. <laughs> you know how they always speak of the rapture. Oh, we're, you know we're gonna go up there. You know Jesus is gonna take us up there. You know, but there's a problem with that. Mashiach spent all his time in the land. He was born in the land. Okay. That's where he's going to be, and that's where I want to be. Duly noted. <laughs> Goodness. That's, 
you know, that just makes a whole lot more sense when you think of Zachariah when it says, and the feet of Mashiach was set foot on the Mount of Olives, Parzate. Yeah. You know, so. The rapture ends at some point if you want to go with that line of thought. You know how there's always a shred of truth in everything, right? Yeah. So clouds of glory, I get it. We're supposed to travel some kind of supernatural way, which, by the way, we have airplanes. So flying is totally a thing what we do as humans. So, um, but yeah, just to that point, you have to land in the land. So things I never just, you know, or things you never really think about to its conclusion, you know? Because it's just like his feet are going to touch down. So it's like he's not just going to come and just float and be like, yeah, I guess I'll go to Israel. I don't know. I mean, we're, you know, we were created here. In a physical, in a physical universe. Yeah. On a physical planet, you know, and gone and gone. You know, and this is where Olam Haba will be. It won't be this world, Olam Hazay. See, this is another aspect of the land that we need to connect with. Gone, done. Um, so, yeah, to appreciate the historicity of the Bible, but that is not what makes the land special. As good as it might be to walk where Yeshua walked, that is not the draw that the land has to its true followers. There's something else. Something that without the scriptures, we would find inexplicable. Um, Considering that the land's part of the covenant, so what I did was uh, I opened up the Orkhaim to this week's Parsha and Ramban. And so, um, you know, Veha, Ya, Akev, Tishma'on, Edha Mishpatim, Ha'ile. So here we are again, that word that we got into earlier. Yep. When you guard, it will be because you will listen. Teach, teach, my own. You listen, it's in the feminine. This is a feminine plural, uh, second person feminine plural verb. Are you reading from the Or Hakaim? Yeah. Okay. It will be because you will listen to these ordinances and you will observe and perform them that Hashem, your God, will safeguard for you the covenants, the covenant, etc., Orkayim discusses the unusual wording at the beginning of this verse, 
we need to know the meaning of that which it says it will be. We need what consequence does the verse refer to that will be? It refers to Hashem safeguarding the covenant and the kindness mentioned afterward in the verse as a reward for listening to the ordinances. Then all the verse had to say is because you will listen to these ordinances. Et ha mishpatim ha Ushamartem. See, here we go, right here. This is, again, you see the four-letter name with Eloheka. That's it. That's it, yeah. Hashem, your God, will safeguard, etc., what need is there for the additional word, Behaya, it will be? We also need to know why it says the unusual expression, Akev, because you will listen. Instead of saying the same idea in the more usual way, if, Im, you will listen. As it says in a similar context, Vayikra uh, 26.3, if you will follow my decrees, Behokotai, Yep. I will provide your rain in their time. See, now we're getting to the land again. The archive is dealing with the land. Why? Hold up. The land, the em, like the if, mm -hmm. that's totally the reason why this week's parasha includes the second paragraph of the Shema. I always wondered, like, why in Ekev, when all we're doing is talking about the land, it's like, well, what's in the second paragraph? The land. When Hashem, your God, brings you into the land that he swore to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yahweh. Wow. In a sense, Orkayim's reminding us of that here. Um, that's beautiful. Um, if you will listen, as it says in a similar context, by equal 26.3, if you will follow my decrees, I will provide your reign in their time. The sages are all over this in my second time need. Now, with regard to the second question, our sages of blessed memory in Tankuma, cited by Rashi, expound the verse as follows. You will receive the stated reward if you will listen to the mitzvot that a person tramples with his heels. The word ikev literally means a heel. This is a reminder of Yaakov grabbing the heel of Esau. Mm -hmm. I'm right behind you, man. I'm, you know, but the other thing about this, we have to remember those two were brothers. They were both Jewish. We cannot ignore that fact. 
despite the controversy that has ensued since then. Um, okay, so let's remember time to expound on the verse as follows. You will receive the stated reward if you listen to the mitzvot that a person tramples with his heels. The word ekev literally means heel, i.e. you observe these mitzvot that people often consider unimportant. We were talking about the farmer. Mm-hmm. How some people are so courageous. Well, try being the farmer who has to let his land, give his land a Shabbat for an entire year. Because that's an allusion to Yom Shakalot Shabbat. Every time we observe Shabbat, we need to think Yom Shakalot Shabbat, a time that is all Shabbat. Uh, Hebrews chapters three and four. Yeah. What I'm thinking about is the logistics of that is basically every seven years you go into retirement, so to speak. Like your daily work as you know it doesn't exist for a whole year. Just like but when yet, they take down the Mishkan, it doesn't exist when it's in when they're on the move. My goodness! Wow, <laughs> it's not a Mishkan while you're on the move. Okay, <laughs> continue. <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow, bro! Seriously? Yes. I mean, they can't bring Corbin out, obviously. I mean, it makes sense, but man, there's a Mishkan, but there's not a Mishkan. And that brings up another point is when you're not growing anything, you got to make sure you have enough food for your animals to eat during that year and the subsequent year as well. So we're waiting on the harp. <laughs> And also, here's another thing. There's another mitzvah in the Torah that says you cannot eat of the first fruits that the trees yield. Yeah. The three year, the orla, the shema? Yeah. Yeah. The orla, the third year. Because you, you have to bring that to the Kohen. Because right. that's their portion. Why? Because Hashem is their inheritance. Yeah. Talk about a, a big mitzvah that's trampled underfoot. Uh, it was it was cool because Rabbi Trugman Shlita and his wife were talking about how, uh, you know, you plant your tree before Tuba Av. And when you count the trees from Rosh Hashanah, if you planted your tree by Tuba Av, it gets counted as one year old on that upcoming Rosh Hashanah. Oh, yeah. So, like, it's so neat to think about. So, like, you uh you'll be counting every year at Rosh Hashanah. So on the fourth Rosh Hashanah of you planting your tree, you'll be able to take that fruit to the Kohen and share that food there. And then after that you'll be able to eat it anywhere. 
So, I mean, it's just like most of your seven-year cycle, you're waiting to be able to partake of the fruit of this tree. And then it's like, you finally get it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> stop cultivating. You're like, come on, man. I just started, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, the circumcision of the bread. You have to temper your desire. You got to bring it in. You got to keep it checked. Musar. Yeah. You know, those those <laughs> desires that can so easily overwhelm you. You need <laughs> yeah. this. You need you some of this. this. <laughs> Dessler's great when it comes to Musar, man. Yeah. Yeah, Buzzroy Hashem, that's going to be my lure, I think. Just kind of keeping that on uh, rotation every day for the 40 days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you observe these mitzvahs that people often consider unimportant, but this is an interpretation that follows the approach of uh, the Dorash, and we need to explain the plain meaning of the verse. Because of these questions, Zor Kaim interprets the verse so that the first part of the verse, it will be because you will listen to these ordinances and you will observe and perform perform them stands on its own as a complete sentence. Orkani presents a number of approaches to explain this new division of the verse based on the sages' teaching about the condition, uh, the connotation, the connotation of the word vehaya, it will be. Which, by the way, is a verb on the call stem. Really? Yep. Well, because that's a, it's a form of yehi, right? Like yeah. yehi or and the but, uh, yeah, you have the kamatz katan on the first hey. Immediately, that's on the call stem, active voice, and it will be if. But see, you don't see the word in here. Right. Just it will be, yeah, it will be when you listen. Hmm. Because you will listen. Tishma yeah. That's the renewed covenant, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, that points to Yochanan chapter 14, where Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yeah, on that verse uh, in the Dalish, you will see similar wording grammatically in the Hebrew. When Dalish translates translates from, back from the Greek to the Hebrew. Man. I love that because you think about what does it mean to have the belief in the Mashiach and to understand the work and the process of the Mashiach ben Yosef 
because his work isn't done yet, but it's it's continuing, it's happening. One of them is taking away the if and turning it into Vehaya. Yes. <laughs> and this is Parsha Ekev. <laughs> and what's interesting is in this verse, you have how Mishpatim, which is a definite article. Mm-hmm. So we have definite statements in this verse. There's nothing ambiguous in this verse regarding observance. Wow. Grammatically speaking, when I read this, there is no doubt in my mind if, when, it will be. And it's and usually when I see a a verb in the feminine, which is second person feminine plural, which is what this verb is, denotes submissiveness to Hashem's voice. Denotes what? Submissiveness. Remember what uh, Hashem said to Eve, and your desire shall be to your husband. Wow. Uh, that's embarrassing. This this really just takes me back to the whole understanding of my covenant, like being subsumed, bending our will to Hashem. And that's awesome now because you know that thing where you can look at the opposite and find out the truth. So the way that people are not wanting to bend their will to Hashem is showing us the the uh, the magnitude or the intensity, if you will, of what how we should actually turn our heart to Hashem. Because as we're looking here about your desire will be for your husband. You know, like this is in the negative now because of the fall. It's like this, it's a broken relationship by default because, you know, the man is out working by the sweat of his brow and the woman just wants the man. But before all of this, there wasn't the the hardcore having to till and prepare everything. And there wasn't a, a missed gap there between the man and the woman because they were already able to just kind of be together and there wasn't any shame, you know, like the woman wanting to be with the man and having to say, hey, I just want you to spend time with me, you know, kind of thing like that. That didn't exist yeah. prior. Yeah. You know, so part of the understanding of the healing and the geula that's happening, especially through Mashiach, is taking that and tacooning that. So. The desire for the husband, though, you were on that with Or Hakim. Yeah, the verse may be explained based on the statement of the sages of blessed memory in Bereshit Rabbah 42.3 that the word Vehaya, it will be, always denotes a state of joy. And what was Moshe's sternest rebuke to Israel in Devarim? Mm-hmm. No joy. You did not perform the mitzvahs with joy. Right. Ha. Because the Mashiach represents pure joy. Yeah. 
that's the Galatians uh, passage about he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Yeah. The curse came through us not doing it in joy. Yeah. You can also state of joy now in light of this, we may explain that the master of prophets, Moshe, came with the pleasant words of this verse to enlighten us with a wonderful lesson. That a person may not rejoice in this world unless he is careful to do all that Hashem commanded him to do. And only then is it appropriate for his heart to rejoice and his soul to be elated. But as long as he is concerned that he may be remiss in observing any of the mitzvahs, mitzvahs of Hashem, whether by violating a mitzvah prohibition or by neglecting a mitzvah obligation, he may not rejoice. For regarding he who is joyful, even when he is not fulfilled Hashem's mitzvahs, King Shlomo says in Koholet 2.2, what does joy accomplish? Such joy has no basis and no constructive purpose. Meaning, we cannot find true fulfillment outside of the mitzvahs. Especially for those of us in Messiah. This is the, the thing of, there's the, the narrative out there of, you can't do the Torah, nobody can do all of that, and that's all, oh, we don't do it anymore. Versus the experience of those who are doing it, you know, like me and you, mm -hmm. like what we mentioned about what happened at Havdalah. <laughs> you want to talk about joy? <laughs> I was it so was joyful, man. Something slipped yeah, out. It, it doesn't was, normally slip out, you know? Yeah, and you're like, Shlomo. <laughs> <laughs> And I won't repeat it here. No, because <laughs> no, my yeah, wife man. and I were talking about. I was talking about that with my wife, and we were just like laughing, <laughs> you know. Dude, yeah, I, dude, I like. I had a lot of laugh. Like I was crying. But again, true joy. We have the experience of that. Like that's a very, very beautiful thing because people are being told, no, 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 don't do Shabbat. No, no, don't do that. Come to church on Sunday, you know? And it's just like, bro, think about this. <laughs> True joy in the mitzvah. And it's just like, no, we're not going to. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, just come on Sunday. Help justify our position. <laughs> it's just like, you have no, like, there's no idea out there for that. Like. Oh, see, this is what the verse means when it says, you shall have true joy when you will have the right to this joy. Yeah, when will you have the right to this joy? In the ACAF of your listening. Really? Beautiful. According to this approach, the word ACAF which literally means heal, is interpreted as 
end and completion. As we find that our sages of blessed memory use this expression in the language of the Mishnah, Sota 49b, at the end of Be'ekavot, yeah, Be'ekavot, the period before Mashiach, etc. You see, now this reminds me of the master's statement in John, I am come that your joy may be full. Wow. Fill it, to fulfill the mitzvot. Like bring fullness to our our uh, obedience okay. to the, the commandments. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For the end of the period preceding the arrival of Mashiach is called the heels of that time. In the same manner, Moshe said in our verse at the end, Akev, of that which you will listen to these ordinances and you will observe and perform them, meaning when you have fully observed all the mitzvot, your joy is full and true. Then will be the time for rejoicing. Oh man, this is like got Sukkot wrapped all over it. <laughs> But as long as one did not reach this point, it is inappropriate for him to rejoice. See, we're really getting to the basis of Moshe's rebuke. The nuts and bolts of it, you know? Yeah. That's what, the, that's what the Orkheim is bringing out here. This is in accordance with the statement of the devout men of Israel. sha'ar. Uh, Prishus chapter 4 that a pious person has his sorrow in his heart and his joy on his face. The joy in his face does not reach his heart because it is improper for one to rejoice when he will one day have to stand in shame and humiliation when his failings will be judged before the great king Hashem. And certainly joy is greatly misplaced for one who is found guilty of having sinned more severely. And as a consequence, his life is forfeit to the king. You know, I'm looking for this statement in this book. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Reslov. But uh, it in here it talks about the what what we mentioned earlier about the Mashiach, the fullness of joy, because it talks about the fact of having joy is what really uh, breaks the klipot. You know, it's like the the opposite of the vessels shattering is the breaking of the klipot. Um, but in here on page ninety seven. It says, even when the Mashiach comes, evil or the evil inclination will still exist. And people will have free will to choose between right and wrong. If there is no evil inclination, 
Mashiach will not be able to rectify the world. For a person who has no evil inclination is as if he were dead. With no free will and no means of repentance and rectification. Therefore, even after Mashiach comes, free will must exist due to the exist the existence of the evil inclination. But Mashiach will be an expert in knowing what, how, and when to do what must be done. That is, he will draw on his knowledge to instill the same expertise into everyone or into every person according to his level until everyone will be aroused to serve God. Even those who are very, very, it literally says very, very distant from him. This is the meaning of I will place my spirit within you and I will cause you to follow my decrees. Nice. We're seeing that. More and more people who are far from Hashem are being stirred. They're being aroused to serve Hashem. And we're talking about the Ekev, the lowest of the generations. And then the renewed covenant spoken of in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And I will put my Torah into their minds and on their hearts. I will write them. Their innermost parts. And John 7, 38, he that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will come flow rivers of living water. Out of the same place where the new covenant rests. Yep. Um, wow. Hey, did you know the Torah of five books correspond to the five levels of soul? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Torah Wellsprings. Uh-oh. Rabbi Bitterman, uh, Shlita. Remember Hashem's kindness. It states in Shemot 20, verse 8, Remember the Shabbos. On these words, the Gemara in Beta 15 explains, Sakar hu me'akar sheva lehish ki hu. Remember the Shabbos because you are likely to forget it. The Benish Hai uh, Devarim brings Reb Yisrael Israelin's explanation on this Gemara. During the week, we do we do the thirty nine Malakos. We touch the Mukse, etc. And out of routine, it is likely that one might do the same on Shabbos. Therefore, the Torah urges us to remember Shabbos because. As the Gemara explains, the Torah tells us to remember when it is likely that we will forget. <laughs> the Torah says in Devarim 8.18, um, 
Beisakarta et Adonai Elokeka, ki hu hanotain, lak koach, la asot kail. Remember Hashem because he gives you the strength to accomplish. The Ben Yishai explains that the Torah instructs us to remember because it is likely that we will forget. We think that we earn Parnasa by the strength of our hands. Therefore, the Torah urges us, Beisakarta et Adonai Elokeka, remember that it is from Hashem. Because all Brachos 54 say that uh, Arba'ah uh, Zrikin Lehodot, that there are four categories of people who must praise Hashem and say the Bracha. Agomel Le Kaivin Tovot Shegam Lanu Kol Tov. They are one, someone freed from jail, two, an ill person who recovered, three, someone who crossed a sea, four, or someone who traversed a desert. The hint is in Shimoni Esrei, Kohachaim Yaduka. Selah, because it is Kaim, it is Roshe Tevos, Kavush, Yosrim, Yesurim, Yam, Medavar. These four situations are dangerous, and when one is saved, he must praise Hashem. So I think going back to Bayat Kanan, because in that word, you have the word hain, grace. Because right. Moshe remembered Hashem's kindness. And he praised him for it before asking if he could go into the land. The Ben Shai explains that these four situations, it is easy to forget Hashem and think that salvation happened by the rules of nature. Uh, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, blessed be he. Yeah, Romans chapter one, Shaul. And back to our Galatians passage, trying to do things under your own power. Power, yes. Which that's, that's why we say Bezrat Hashem, Bezrat Hashem, that we keep the mitzvot. Yeah, because we acknowledge that in our sinful state, our fallen state from Hashem. That we need his help to do them. Yeah, so remember, how is it that you're you're binding all this up in JC when in fact it's Hashem that's doing this? Remember when we uh, spoke at Havdalah about Hashem totally agreeing with the generation of Enosh when they wanted to worship idols? Uh, it's like, okay, fine. If you want to do that, you're going to be exactly like them. So here comes all the pains and troubles and drama and all sorts of stuff. So if you really want to do things under your own power, there's consequences for that. When every man does what is right in his own eyes. Yeah. You know, and that's why Adam was created outside the garden so that he would see the consequences of disobedience. And then Hashem placed him in the garden. Wow. You know, that's a Mashiach Ben Yosef thing. Now that I think about it, 
because Mashiach was outside the garden. Yeah. <laughs> because out of Egypt have I called my son. Yep. That's crazy. Oh, man. And then there's the tears of Raquel. Mm-hmm. Man, that is so huge. I mean, the merit that she brings is just, I mean, astronomical. <laughs> yeah, and with that, the other thing we say, we say Bezrat Hashem. We also say Besiata Dishmaya, which is the BSD that you see at the uh, top of things, Bet Samikdalit. Ah, uh, okay. With the help of heaven. It's uh that's the uh the Aramaic way of saying Bezrat Hashem. Oh, cool. So again, we we have it built into our physical customs, the spiritual concepts that we talk about of not under our own power, not by power, not by bite, but by the spirit of Hashem. Let's see, right. let's see. He was talking about the banish high, explains that these four situations are easy to forget Hashem and think that salvation happened by the rules of nature. When one overcomes an illness, people praise the doctor or think that the cure came naturally. I posted something from uh, Avigdor Miller about that. Why do you okay. wait till you until you get sick before you pray the refua prayer? Why don't you do it when things are going well? Wow. Um, yeah, the best time to pray. Oh, this is so, yeah, this is one of his lengthy ones, but why do we say the Braca of Rafa'enu, the blessing of heal us when we are not ill. Why don't we sit? You know, why is that? Ooh, that's the best time to do it. You wait until you're sick? Akadosh Baruch says, hypocrite, now when you need me, you come to me. There, there we go with the the amulet thing again you know it's like it is when you're well and you ask for good health that's when Hakadosh Baruch Hu appreciates it that wow. means you're thinking about him same as a wealthy man asking for Panasa a rich man has to has plenty of money and he says please Hashem help me make a living Ah, Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "You're my man." Ooh. When a poor man comes and asks, Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "What's the kiddush?" Certainly, you need my help. You ask me only now. That doesn't mean much. However, Hashem has pity on the poor man too. That's why David HaMelech was so beloved in the eyes of Hashem. He was powerful. He was a victor. He was a king. He was wealthy. He was tall and strong and handsome. And yet he always prayed to Hashem as if it was F as if he was nobody. Ana Hashem Ani Afdeka. 
because I am your servant. Please help me, Hashem. And that's why Hashem loved David. Notice how David prays in the Psalms. He's not expecting anything. He's not saying, what's in it for me? If we're yeah. a servant of Hashem, we don't get to say what's in it for me. Wow. Well, you just, it's really impolite when you barge into the chamber of the king and demand that he give you what you're asking. Because the whole point of the Amidah is you're coming in absolute respect and reverence of the king of the universe. I mean, seriously, do you talk that way to your parents? Shanelu Kota Brit, Parsha Korak, Torah or 30. Wherever you find true greatness, you find humility. Our sages went so far as to say, wherever you find the greatness of God described, you will find his humility. And, oh, I voted there, 20B. Humility is the greatest of them all. Oh, oh. Wow. Not by our power. So I know I can't do it by myself. It's painfully obvious, you know? Yeah. And it's cool because there's no, there's not a place if we choose, because obviously free will, there's not really a place for us to be despondent about that because guess what? The next mitzvah is happening now. <laughs> you know, it's just like, dang, I messed up Shakarit so horribly this morning. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, here comes breakfast, <laughs> which you say brakot, you eat kosher. You know, it's like mitzvah, mitzvah, mitzvah. Stop with the self-loathing. Pick you yourself know. up. Yeah. There's always Minka, there's always RV. <laughs> yep. And you know, the fact it's that always the, it's always a brickot home zone. Yes. So just eat a little bread. You know, that's amazing to me. You know, because what's the other thing happening? Hummus. Yeah. What's the what's the other crazy thing happening in the music of uh, the Christianity? The emo, the emo uh, songs of. Oh, I'm tired. Woe is me. I'm a wretched sinner. You know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like you play the song and it's just like it a self-loathing. You oh. know, these beautiful riffs that go on, and then all of a sudden the message comes out, and you're just like, Oh, I feel depressed. You know, what did you ask me here then for? <laughs> yeah. To depress me with these songs that you think are so great. When I could easily put on uh, Steve McConnell and uh, Yom Zay the Yisrael Orah Simcha Shabbat Menucha. Yeah. Today, very, very all our striving is done. 
today will be joy for everyone. Oh man, I love that song. I man. Beautiful, bro. Keep going. Let's see, see. They don't believe it was from Hashem. When one is freed from jail, they give credit to the lawyer. <laughs> I hope that lawyer gives credit to the one who gave him wisdom to get him out of jail in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> those who cross the sea uh, say that the ship was strong, and those who cross the desert give credit to the caravan with whom they traveled. Therefore, we say, Ko Hakaim, Yadukas Selah, people who fall under these four categories must praise Hashem. They must recognize the miracle that happened to them. The Or HaKaim HaKadosh on this Pasuk, Sakarta et Adonai Elokeka explains that we should think about the good we enjoy in life and realize that it came from Hashem. The Or HaKaim explains that this will lead us to recognize that everything happens by Hashem's Ashkaka. We begin with providence. Everything happens in his will. There's another way of looking at it. We begin with thinking about the good we enjoy and acknowledging that it came from Hashem. And then we are trained to recognize that everything that happens to us is from Hashem, not by chance. Huge. Nothing happens by chance. Everything is by divine design. What's that uh, tractate? Hulin, uh, believe 7a. It's, uh, divine providence is so uh, focused, so detailed that you don't even stub your toe unless it's decreed in July. <laughs> Which is crazy because when you read the footnote on that, it says if you have the, the incident happen to you and that we have to go through that because that's painful. But you stub your toe multiple times, like in the same spot, they liken that to a Corbin that affects atonement for you. Because anytime you go through hardships anyway, that's a form of atonement. Uh, that was actually Rob Dessler last week that you read. And then also in the Wellsprings, it went over that. What'd you just read? You had this face on you. Oh, uh, yeah, the Torah Wellsprings, uh, page eight on the PDF. You know, the, on page eight, the second to the last paragraph. But then the next paragraph, the Orkayim adds, the Yetzirah's first trick is to cause a person to forget this, and that leads to his downfall. There's that Zakor that you were talking about. Yeah. Rev Shmuel to Kleiner, a blessed memory, a student of Rab Moshe of Kobrin, 
a blessed memory once they enjoyed a certain said from Hashem and he didn't stop speaking about it. When someone came to his home, he told them, did you hear what happened to me? And he told them about the miracle and kindness that Hashem did for him. After a while, his family asked him why he talks about this miracle so often. Rav Shemuel <laughs> to Kleiner replied, the Orkaim says the Yetzir Haraz first poised to cause a person to forget Hashem's kindness. And therefore, I'm repeating it to myself many times. That's that whole thing of, you know, you got to think back to the things that Hashem has brought you through. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because, like, if he's, if he's brought you this far kind of thing, you know, it's just kind of like, but don't forget the things he's done for you. Because remember, that's how we didn't take the land. Yep. We forgot Hashem did the plagues in Mitzrayim. Hashem split the sea. What do you mean you can't take on giants? Your your women and children are going to die. Oh, man. And then, uh, yeah, Rabbi Foreman brings up something about that the fruit in the land and the giants the fruit was so large that the giants enabled the giants to grow to that size because the fruit was of divine origin yeah <laughs> and you're yeah, complaining about the fact that they're bigger than you yeah when you forget that Hashem has said the land is good Eretz Tov like we can be that big <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why couldn't you see yourself like that? Because that's how Hashem sees you. Well, we said oh. grasshoppers. Good night. I mean, Moshe says strengthen yourselves. You're going to need it to carry back those huge grapes that can make a almost a vat of wine, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just like, yeah, I'm looking forward to holla growing out of the ground and having a holla garden. <laughs> that's, uh, hmm. There's going to be some big old bread. Oh, okay. Like when can... you have your uh, home in the Golan Heights, I'll make sure I'm there on Shabbat. <laughs> I got you, man. <laughs> I got you. Uh, let's see. So now I got the Rambach open up to this parsha. Um, you loving on Rambach tonight, man. What's going on with y'all over there? <laughs> see, and it will be because you will hearken to these judgments. Hashem, your God, will safeguard for you the covenant and the kindness. Yeah, the meaning of the word Akev translated here as because is the focus of Ramban's opening commentary. He begins by presenting its simple interpretation. The meaning of Akev is like uh, Be'avor. Be'avor, because... It's almost like crossing over. Yeah, like over. Yeah. 
Becca Lee. Similarly, we find because Akef, Abraham obeyed my voice. Nice. See? Genesis 26.5. Rambam introduces a mid-Rashic interpretation cited by Rashi. But Rashi writes, if you will hearken even to the lighter commandments that a person often neglectfully tramples with his heels, so to speak, God will safeguard his promise for you. Rambam discusses the function of the word the judgments, according to Rashi, and the verse mentions the judgments as well. Perhaps Moses is admonishing the people regarding the lighter judgments, i.e. the monetary laws, that they should not treat them lightly. The commentators have said that the meaning of Akev is a reward to be received for something in the end. Similarly, we find in observing them, there is great reward. Akev, Psalm 19.12, you know. Thus, Scripture is saying the end result of hearkening to the judgments and observing them will be that God will safeguard for you the covenant and the kindness, and he will love you. And that is a sound interpretation because the holy tongue, Hebrew, the beginning of anything, is referred to by the word head, rosh, such as your very first utterance is truth. Psalms 119, 160. Uh, all your commandments are truth. I, believe I came to testify to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Your commandments are altogether righteous. Similarly, the foremost of something is called its head, as in the leaders, Roche, of the nations. Uh, here we go with the nations again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, numbers 25.4, as is the finest of a group, as in the foremost, Rosh Spices, Exodus 30.23. And so conversely, the end of anything is called its heel. For the language adopts its figurative comparisons and makes them like a human, whose head is his beginning and whose heel is his end. And, conclude, and conclusion, uh, see also Ramban on Exodus 25, 12. Um, similarly, scripture says, Hashem shall place you as a head and not as a tail. Deuteronomy 28, 13, in a figurative comparison to the body of an animal. That whole thing reminds me of, and the eyes of Hashem are upon the land from the beginning of the year to its end. Yeah, that's actually uh, part of the, the whole yearning for the holy land. It's like Hashem's eyes are always on the land. What about ours? Yeah. If we're supposed to truly be imitators of Hashem. And this is the meaning of why we dive in towards Jerusalem. Because <laughs> our eyes are to be always on the land. 
and why when you're at the Kotel, you're always facing the Temple Mount. Because that is the place where all the prayers, the Tefilot, yep. ascend to heaven. This is the Kabbalist rabbis, man. They're really big on it. Yeah. And I can yeah. see why. Why? Because when your prayers ascend and are accepted, Kedusha and blessing come down. Yeah. That's the conduit. Yeah. And then from there, it emanates out to the nations. And all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So to the eye, it is a reasonably pleasant land, but less so than the highlands of Scotland and the lowlands of the Atlantic coast. To the senses, it is appealing, but less so than the streets of Paris or Florence. And yet, our hearts leap at the sights, sounds, tastes, and smells of it. I can identify with that, as my wife can as well. Having purchased products, you know, food and like our menorah, for example, the olive oil, we've tasted and we see that Hashem is indeed good. Um, Ta'amu. Uru Kitov. Taste and see that Hashem is good. Amen. Which is interesting because that's next week's parsha, Re'e, to see. Yeah, Ta'amu Uru taste and see yeah in other words in order for you to really see what good Hashem is placing before us you have to engage in it which again we mentioned it already like we engage in Shabbat so we know how beautiful it is and how beautiful how dollars are and when you're in the Midrash and you're studying and you're going especially that last one <laughs> Yeah. I know why it's just like oh. But that's yeah. how we see Hashem though. Yeah. I it's it brings substance to your Amunah. And that's what it helps to deepen it. Um well I like this next statement. You know, what, what makes the land special? It is because he is there. Mm -hmm. It is because he has etched upon it his eternal name. To all of us that know the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, it is our home. And it eternally matters because it matters to our God. Wow. Um, I'll read a little more from the Ramban here. Um, Anakulos translates Akev as 
in exchange for it. Oh, as, what? As in the phrase, in exchange for Kalef. If I'm getting it, if I'm. Um, I got uncles here. Yeah, I do too. Which means Devarim 7, 12. Oh, wait a minute. You, I don't have it. <laughs> That's the only one I don't have. So, yeah, you can go there. <laughs> All right. 7, 12 in exchange for. Yeah. If you could read the Aramaic. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> Or me be speaking in tongues and whatnot over here. And it won't be gibberish either. <laughs> no, but it'll be Aramaic because that's yeah. a tongue. Okay. Well, one of the things I'm thinking about is the Akeda, you know, and how there's the substitution there. Oh, yeah, yeah. In exchange for. Uh, okay. Let's see how this goes. So 712, right? Uh-huh. Uh... -huh. uh Aramaic, here we come. Vihe Khalaf Dit Kablun Yat Dinaya Ha Elaine Vetit Run Veta Veta Bedun Yathon Ve Yitar Hashem, Adonai, E lahak, lak yat, ke yama ve yat, hista, di kayim la avahatak. In English, it shall be that in return for, footnote, as a reward for, simply understood, ekev means because, however, the root akav also connotes a circle. Mm. Uh, See Yeshayahu 40, verse 4, talking about the Shana, the year, which, by the way, is related to Shana or Shani, which is the word for scarlet. So you're Yeshiyahu. Yeah, Yeshiyahu 40, verse 4. Uh, the scarlet has to do with the purifying of our sins as many as of a year. Uh, this is brought down by Pasikta de Rab Kahana on the Corbinot that it's a daily and a yearly cleansing all at the same time. So when you go over here, see Yeshiyahu 40 verse four, every valley will be raised, every mountain and hill will be lowered, the crooked will become straight and the heights will become a valley. Where in there is the word of Chavs? He Akav, there it is, Vehaya, He Akov, Li 
Arle Miyok Mi Yoshore. Shall we come straight? Okay. The verse meant literally a clear and straight path will be formed so that the returnees will not be forced to trudge uphill and downhill. You ain't going to have to walk uphill both ways <laughs> to get to Jerusalem, basically. Back in my day when I had to walk in school, I'd walk mm-hmm. in the snow uphill both ways. You ain't going to have to do that with a shim. So if it is figurative, it means that many ascents and descents on the roads back to Eretz Israel will not exhaust the returnees. It will be as if all hindrances will be leveled and straightened. This is from the Radak. Talmud Netarim 55a derives from here that people who consider themselves to be high and mighty will be lowered. Those who act lowly will be raised up. Metaphorically, the exiled people who were as lowly as valleys will be raised up to their proper level. Whereas the persecutors who were as high as mountains will be lowered by their downfall. Cycle of events or cause and effect. Accordingly, Ankylos translates halaf in exchange for. So halaf is the Aramaic of ekev. And then it says rendering or referring to the cause and effect of accepting and fulfilling Hashem's mitzvot in exchange for which Yisrael shall be rewarded by Hashem for keeping his promises or keep for keeping his promise to us. Ramban, which you just read. According to Rashi, Ekev means heal, referring to the mitzvot that people tend to be careless about. We talked about this before. So yeah, so in exchange for having to do with the fact of the cause and effect relationship. Yeah. Um, Note nine on uh, and Ankylos translates Akev as an exchange for, according to Ankylos, then the verse promises a reward in exchange for our hearkening and following the Torah's commandments. Conceptually, this is identical to Ibn Ezra's interpretation, but it differs linguistically. As Rabbam goes on to explain, which the Rabban does state, uh, as in the phrase in exchange for Kala, Kalef, your services. See, now we're getting to the Avoda Hashem. Yeah. We do this without this expectation, though. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of Hashem, present yourselves as living sacrifices. Korban Hai. And you know what's so crazy is he goes right into saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Yeah. (laughs) Let not a man think he is something when he is nothing. Right. 
let's see. He has thus interpreted it an expression of going around. Uh, another Katal verb, Savav. Oh, I love this. Come on. Um, again, active voice. Um, you know who's called Sovav? Or shall we say Sovavim? Yeah, Saviv. Yeah, he uses that word. In, connection, in, in connection with Ankylos' word, uh, Kalef. When Ankylos uh, translates Akev to Aramaic. So Ekev, Chalaf, and Sovivim are related? Yep. Bro, in Shir Hashirim Rabbah, it says the Sovivim are the Levites because they're the ones who encircle the Mishkan. The Oh my goodness. The innermost perimeter of the camp. Yeah. Going around. So note 10, having provided the entomological basis for Ibn Ezra's interpretation of Akev as a reward in the end, Ramban now sets out to do the same for Ankylos translation of Akev as in exchange for since there appears to be no obvious connection between Akev and exchange, nor any evident source in scripture where the root Akev takes on this meaning, Rambam explains that Ankylos did not mean that Akev literally means exchange, rather the root Akev, which means roundabout or circuitous. Uh, like what we did around Yeriko. Circuitous, yeah. Attains the applied meaning in exchange for, as he now goes on to demonstrate. So he continues, uh, going around derived from the same root as, and he, and the crooked. So now we get our Yeshayahu reference. Because what word do you see here? I see, uh, uh, a cove. Yeah. You know, yeah, ha, and the Rambam even brings in that word too. Ha a cove will become straight. Ooh, the crooked will become Isaiah straight. Isaiah 40, verse 4. Where ha a cove means a winding crooked road that goes round and round rather than in a straight line. And so too, uh, Gilad is a city of evildoers by blood. Hosea 6.8 means surrounded and encircled by blood. What? Uh, What's encircled by blood? Uh, Gilad is a city of evildoers. Hosea 
I'm thinking of the verse uh, Sodom and Gomorrah would have long repented. Yeah, Gilead is a city of evildoers, of those who waylay for blood. Hebrew. <laughs> Gilead. Kiryat. Uh, Kiryat. Ho. Ho'ale. Aven Ekuva. There have a synonym there. Yeah. Where are you reading it? Or what? Uh, Hosea, Hosea 6 8. Eku, Eku, yeah, Ekuva. Uh, Midan from blood. Encircled with blood from blood. Do you have commentary on it? Because I have some here. Six. No. Oh, you're going to love this. Yeah. If you got to bring it. It's a Avoda Zara drop. Oh, I got Avoda Zara out. <laughs> but um, the thing is, it's citing the Yerushalayim. So I don't know. Oh. How to... <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me check. Go ahead and read the commentary. I'll see if I. If it, yeah, uh, you may be able to find this because, you know, you can cross-reference. So it says, this follows the translation of most commentators. Redox cites Yerushalayim of Vodazera 510 as rendering Akuva Midam to mean sullied with blood. The sages derive from this verse that the city of Gilead was noted for a disproportionately Large number of murderers. Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Atishbi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hagiladi, Hagiladi. Eliyahu is from Yilkhead. You mean to tell me the herald of the good news comes from a city of a disproportionate, disproportionately large number of murders? And the person who gave us the Torah is a person who murdered an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Mm-hmm. Just stay alone. And when Moshe uh, murdered that Egyptian, that's what I'm saying. Who had who had the uh, the fesh of Cain? Yeah, and brought rectification or reconciliation between him and uh, Yitro because he had the the shama of Cain. And when he killed the Egyptian, he invoked the 42-letter name of Hashem. <laughs> wow. And all this just before Israel leaves Mitzrayim. Yeah. 
and for you know, all, and it, you go, you can easily connect it with the counting of the omen because 42 is the sixth week of the omen. Wow, which was the week the Mashiach ascended. Okay. Yeah. Oh We're yeah. No, that We're going man. there. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know what I like about that is during that time we actually read that whole thing. So yeah. Go back to ruminations during Sephirata Omer. <laughs> but um it says for this reason, the smaller region of the land of Israel east of the Jordan where Gilead was located, contained the same number of cities of refuge for those who killed inadvertently as did the larger area on the other side, Makot 9b. So basically, we're dealing with a small section of the land, but a, the per capita of murderers is huge. And the number of cities of refuge are uh, there's a lot of them over here, so much that they are equivalent to how many we have on the other side of the Jordan. We're just like, dude, what is going on in this small section? But then it says, according to a Barbanel, these last two verses form two parts of a total picture. The people of the kingdom of Judah, in whose midst the temple or was the temple, sought to fulfill their requirements by offering Corbanot without pursuing chesed, without pursuing Ooh. kindness, without pursuing da'at Hashem, without pursuing the knowledge of Hashem. Yep. The northern kingdom of Israel is castigated for tolerating the presence of murderers in its midst. That's the commentary on the Akuba. Wow. Edom. Well, in Avodah Zarah, uh, in 19b4, begins a new Mishnah. And we do not make ornaments for idols, such as chokers, nose rings, or rings. Rav Eliezer says, for pay, it is permissible. We do not sell plants that are attached to the ground to the idol, idol worshipers, but one may sell them plants once the plants have been cut down. Rav Yehuda says one may sell them plants that are attached to the ground if he does so on condition that they will be cut down. And so the Gemara, the Mishnah stated that it is forbidden to sell idolatrous plants attached to the ground. The Gemara ascertains the source of this ruling from where are these words known. Rav Yosef Bar Kanina said, for the verse states regarding idol worshippers, lo takanim, uh, the word uh, sika name is related to kanaya, a holding. Thus the verse is commanding, you shall not give them, the idol worshippers, a holding on the land. This tells us that it is forbidden to transfer land to idolaters. 
Plants attached to the ground are legally viewed as part of the ground. Therefore, they too are included in this prohibition. That brings a whole new meaning to being grounded. <laughs> See, this is the thing. Israel is violating this halakha and this Gemara. They're not supposed to give any part of the land away. Seriously? Did you just say that? Because what's been going on with these border treaties and stuff? Look at Judea and Samaria. They're prohibiting them from making any new uh, settlements, kibbutz, kibbutzim. Man. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, the Gemara questions this source, but this verse, Lo Sika name, is needed for a different teaching, for this is what the merciful one is saying with this verse, you shall not give them, the idol worshippers, verbal expressions of favor, pain. The word second name is related not to the kaniya, but to pain, favor. The verse teaches that it is forbidden to speak favorably of idolatry since the verse is needed for this purpose. It cannot be used to teach prohibition a prohibition against transferring land to idolaters. The Gemara answers, if so, that the verse comes only to teach a prohibition against speaking favorably of idolaters. Let the verse say, lo siku name. This formulation would most accurately express a prohibition against pain, favor. What then is the verse's intention in employing the low sika name formulation, we may learn from this that both teachings are derived from this verse. The Gemara asks, for, uh, asks further, but still this verse is needed for yet another teaching, for this is what the merciful one is saying, with this verse, you shall not give them, the idol worshippers, a free gift. So they were they're deriving multiple meanings here. Right. Based on the it's based on the perspective. According to this understanding, the word uh, second name is related to kinam, free. Thus, the phrase lo second name teaches that it is forbidden to extend a free gift to an idolater since the verse is needed for this purpose. It cannot be used to teach a prohibition against transferring land to idolaters. That also goes to point out that the free gift of our deliverance, you know, from the condition of uh, the curse of not wanting to do Hashem's commandments and things like that, that we talked about earlier, that goes to say we can't expect the gift of the Mashiach to be effective if we're going to continue in idolatry. There is a prescription for it on some level because remember the bronze serpent that we put on a pole we carried it into the land of, of Israel with us, and eventually we used it as an idol. And we derived benefit from it. 
But at one point, King Hezekiah was the one to come along and put an end to that. So whichever way you look at it, whether you want to call it a, a matter of time, ultimately we have to let go of our idolatry in order to really accept the gift of Hashem. Because as you just brought down on so many levels, you can't just expect to be given all these gifts. Like you can't inherit the land and be like, oh, just do some uh, Xmas stuff over here and do some Schmeister over there and, you know, not keep the Shabbat and eat what I want, you know, like you, you have to sub be subsumed in the covenant of Hashem. Yeah. Yeah, at the beginning of the Gemara, note one, Deuteronomy 7 2, the verse discusses the seven Canaanite nations that occupied Eretz Israel before the arrival of Israel. The Gemara extrapolates from their law that law to that of other idolaters as well. See Tosafos. And then note nine, this prohibition too is meant to discourage fraternization between Jew and idol worshipers so that Jews will not follow in their ways. Meiri, see note 11. The three teachings are derived as follows by writing Lo uh, Takanem in Takanem, abbrevi in abbreviated form. See note eight, the verse indicates that it is to be read as low uh, sick a name. This prohibits the transfer of land, Kaniya, to idol worshippers, since the verse can be read also as low taka name or low sikun name. It teaches a prohibition against speaking favorably regarding idol worshippers pain since it can be read also as uh, talk of name low uh, taking name it teaches a prohibition against extending free gifts to idol worshippers so basically you have different conjugations of that word um You yeah. also have, see the, the interesting thing about this word, it, yeah. You have the head in the first guttural position on this verb, but it's preceded by the top with the shva. But in Hebrew, the rule regarding verbal roots is that there are always three letters. Right. You have a three-letter gate and a two-letter gate. Yeah. Uh, talking name. So again, this is a katal uh, on the katal stem, active voice, meaning, you know, Hashem takes very seriously the fact that you are not to divvy up the land for any reason. So in this Gemara, we have three prohibitions dividing mm -hmm. up the land, giving it away, any part of it, even the plants. Speaking favorably of an idolater, you can't extend grace to them. No. And no gifts. 
And uh, this really points to uh, secretism, which Hashem hates. Yeah. Come on with it. You know, it's like when the tribes in First Shmuel clamored for a king. We want to be like the other nations. But Shmuel reminded them that we are not like other nations because Hashem is both our God and our king. But then Hashem spoke to Shmuel and said, all that they have said do, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king over them. Yeah. And yeah, and giving away the land, like a prime example of this is back in 2005 when they gave away the Gaza Strip. And considering the fact that you live in Texas, right next door to Louisiana, do you remember what happened that year? Hurricane Katrina. Exactly. It devastated New Orleans, man. Yeah. Wasn't that a joke? I mean, I so, don't know how it affected Texas. You, I mean, you, you would know better than I think anybody yeah. I mean, as far as uh, the area I'm in, there wasn't really any effect other than we had a, a large amount of people uh, coming in. You know, to this day, I actually have co-workers uh, that I work with that are from that. You know, they, they literally are in this area where I live because of it. And they talk about it all the time. They go like, had it not been for Hurricane Katrina, I would still be in New Orleans. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. That but I was going to say Megila 13a is the antithesis of the idolater and the Jew. Because they're not supposed to fraternize, right? What fellowship does I have with darkness? Yeah, Those, yeah that kind of thing. So Megillah 13a says, if you repudiate idolatry, that's what a Jew is. So I don't know about you, but repudiate sounds like a strong word. It is. <laughs> then that reminds me of Shaul, I think, with uh, Romans 3. For what is a Jew outwardly? But inwardly. Yeah, that's two going into three. Yeah. Yeah. That whole section right yeah. there. You know. So to think about not giving gifts to idolaters, not fraternizing with them, you're literally undoing yourself when you give them gifts and when you uh, fraternize because that's the very epitome of what you're supposed to reject. And the fact that Abraham, being the first to cross over, Ivrit, from I, from idolatrous Kassadim. Uh, yep. And we know what the Midrash says about his life and that just before uh, Hashem revealing himself to him. Yeah. Those are really good stories, by the way. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's um, but yeah, I mean, this is really you know, getting a lot deeper, you know, and, it's just, and that's what we need to do. Yeah, I really life. love the 
Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and then you know the the blood, you know Hosea six eight, mm-hmm. surrounded and encircled. That I immediately go right back to Yehezkel sixteen. In your blood live. In your yeah. blood live. Really? Yeah. I mean. Wow. Because in my Sidur, there are certain prayers that mention this. What? Yes. It's a party, man. What's the deal? What is the deal? Yeah, so far, everything that I've seen and heard about the Sephardic Sidur is <laughs> insane. I'm telling you, man, it's Hashem. He's, he leads me to, to get these things, you know? I mean... Get you some, man. Um, yeah. I bathed you with water and washed away your blood from upon you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered garments. I shod you in takash, leather. I bound you with linen. I covered you with silk. I decked you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your hands and a necklace on your neck, and I placed a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a crown of beauty on your head. Oh, man, the crown of Taurus. Yeah, I keep thinking, you know, the Kala, the bride. Yeah. Um, She's a crown on the head of her husband. Atkinu Seyudatta. Oh. Yeah. Shall we not utter supernal secrets? Mm. Crown the bride with supernal crowns. Oh, man. <laughs> See. Um, yeah, that's according to Oculus, the verse is saying, continuing with the Ramban. The result of your hearkening to the judgments and performing them will be that God will safeguard for you his covenant, and he has interpreted well. And similar to this, matter below uh, in 1510 means as a result of the matter related to the expression, they would roll. Galalu, the stone. Genesis 29, 3, note 12. Rabbam cites this verse as another example in which a word whose root meaning is rolling or circling is used to connote the ultimate outcome of a turn of events set in motion by a particular action. Ooh. Okay, Rambam endeavors to provide a single unifying meaning for all the words of the root, Akev. 
similarly is it is my opinion that all the words of the root akev are able to be interpreted as turning and circling thus deceitful is the heart oh my god desperately Jeremiah 17 9 that he was devious with me Vayakaveni, these two times, Genesis 27, 36, and Yehu was acting with cunning. Second Kings 10, 19 are <laughs> all... a lot of notes on this page. <laughs> all expressing the idea of maneuvering and scheming. And this is for this it is for this reason the people of Jacob are crooked is straight Yeshayahu 40 verse 4 Ooh. similarly the back of the foot which is called Akev as in with his hand grasping onto the heel of Esau is so called due to its being rounded just as the Hebrew language calls the middle part of the hand and the foot, i.e. the palm and the sole, uh, bafot, because of their being curved like golden spoons. Note 15, a reference to the golden spoons or bowls described in the Midbar 7. Is that that's the offering of the Nasi? Nasim? I believe so. Um, I think it might be speaking of the the Mizbayak Hedaret. I think. Have to have to look. Uh, because if that's the case, we read that uh, on. Nisan heading into uh, Pesach for the to correspond to the days that they actually offered up. But yeah, that's it. That's the the one. It goes into Nakshon the first day, uh, Yisakar the second day, Bami Bar chapter seven. Yeah. The word ekev also means to ambush. Uh, as used here, the heart is most deceitful of all. Yeah. The heart is bombarded with harmful temptations and evil influences. One, this is a contrast between one who trusts in Hashem with one who depends on man and their respective reward and punishment. Jeremiah now reminds us that although the sincerity of one's trust is not discernible by man, God is indeed cognizant. Therefore, a person who appears to have faith in Hashem may not enjoy the promised blessings because he is not truly faithful. 
Man, I feel like diamonds are just dropping out of the sky. <laughs> Which is funny. I'm I'm working on a song currently to do a verse that talks about the fact of uh, the way to switch up the world, like light switches. Uh-huh. You can turn all the lights on and you can put diamonds in the air and make everybody look nice. Like this whole aspect of putting out truth in these pearls in the airwaves. Obviously, you don't catch your pearls before swine, but. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just a beautiful thing to know that there are people who oh, want to boy. hear words of Torah, and if they really are ready to receive it, give it to them. Yep. Don't hold back. Okay. What you got? This is gonna get you. A kov halev mi kol ha vei anush anush hu mi yada enu. The heart is deceitful. Okay. Uh. The heart is the most deceitful of all, and it is fragile. Who can know it? Notice the word that started the verse. Nash. Akov. Oh, Akov, I live. Ove Anush, who? Akov, I live. Who can know it? That's the man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this really does speak of Mita Kanega Mita of Yaakov, who deceived Esau and brought about a sequence of events, exactly what the Ramban is talking about. Oh, the exchange. Selling his birthright, you know. What good is this going to do me, you know? Wow. I mean, that is just... <laughs> Man. Uh did you know the uh the whole thing about the uh if anyone will not welcome you or heed your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town, truly I tell you it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Cause we were talking about the whole blood surrounding you know, Gilead mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. And you, you have this idea of a place that's idolatrous, very far from Hashem. Like even Sodom and Gomorrah have a better chance of making Shuva and being brought near to Hashem than those who reject Hashem's uh, Shliakim, those who Hashem sends. Mm. yeah that's a mouthful (laughs) yeah it just I mean it really just points out that you know you can't really look at people and say they're too far which is why I think the the whole thing of understanding like every rumination that we do it always seems to be an attack on Christianity but 
it's the teaching, it's the system, not the people, because like we always mention, you know, we came from there. <laughs> we know what's up, you know, and it's just one of those things of where anyone at any moment could just, Hashem could bring them and, and spark them up and be like, hey, maybe I don't need to be in you dome. Maybe I want to go to Yerushalayim. And it's like, well, come on. What are you doing? Anyway, I know we've we've gone quite a bit. I don't know how far uh, left we got of the rumination, but we just have the verse. Yeah, we gotta gotta get back to uh, to landing this spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alex Kamal tap the brakes. <laughs> Losing contact with arrows here. <laughs> okay. Yep. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks the water from the rain of heaven, a land for which Hashem your God cares. The eyes of Hashem your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Devarim 11, 10 through 12. Amen. May Hashem help us to trust in him. And remember that the land is good. Amen. Okay. It's time for our bracket. Or else we're going to be officially turning this day into Shabbat. <laughs> <laughs> but need to go to work. <laughs> I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established my portion with idlers. For I arise early, and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil, and receive reward. And they toil, and do not receive reward. I run, and they run. I run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written. And you, O oh God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu torat emet, vechaye olam nata betocheinu. Baruch atah Adonai, notain ha-Torah.